Christmas time, huh? You know, I was uh, thinking earlier, uh, now it has nothing to do with Christmas, but I remember my, my first car. Uh, how do you connect that? I, I don't know. You're, I'm getting old. Um, 72 Chevy Nova. It wasn't an SS, but I pretended like it was. It was four doors, but it was cool all the same. Um, there was, I bought it when I was 17 off my folks. Such a deal, they told me. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was a money pit. But um, I was 21 then, looking for my second car. And I lived out in the southwest suburbs of Chicago. I lived so far out that south of us was cornfield-type stuff. And so I had a buddy who lived out towards the cornfields or through the cornfields. And so I would go to see him every once in a while. And I would pass cornfields everywhere. But I would pass this little mom-and-pop uh, auto place dealership and uh, someone told me i needed to stop there because they had some incredible deals and so i was driving by one day and and they had i don't know a dozen cars out there it's one of those little cheap places but i i, I saw this one car i thought was kind of cool i don't even remember what it was and i pulled in and a salesman came right out of course you know and started talking to me about it and, and uh I said, I hear you got some good deals here. And he says, oh, oh a- absolutely. He says, any car you buy, any car you buy right now, we have some special deals. Any car, we cover it bumper to bumper for as long as you own the car. I said, really? He said, right. So I said, so like mufflers and shocks? He said, covered. I said, wow. I said, batteries, alternators? He said, bumper to bumper, those are covered. I said, brakes? said, bumper to bumper, they're covered. I said, how about tires? He said, they're covered, bumper to bumper. As long as you, you just bring your car back and we'll take care of it. Well, it's not a little bit good, too good to be true, huh? Yeah. Well, I wasn't born yesterday and I didn't have any money. So I went on home, but I, I, I thought about this place. I had a buddy who bought one of the cars from there, a decent car. But about three months later, I'm driving by the place. All the cars are gone. The little shack is closed up. They are out of business. They are done. No doubt the fine print said as long as you own the car or as long as we're in business. So I'm guessing these guys promise that to everybody. Let me give you some uh, car sales scenarios, okay? Used car. You're in, you're in the market for a used car. Yeah, go to the, 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 the dealership and guy comes out. He looks you over, points to a car and says, Trust me, that's the car for you. Good, I'm going to make you a deal you can't refuse. That car is going to be gone in no time. You don't even need to take it for a spin. Just take my word for it. Sign right here and you can be in that baby. Just trust me. Now, yeah, you walk away, right? That's what you're supposed to do. You walk away. Scenario number two. You go to a dealership. The uh, salesman comes out. He looks you over, points to a car and says, See that car right there? That car is for you. Trust me. He says, I'm going to make you a deal you can't refuse. That car is perfect for you. I mean, you don't even need to take it for a spin. Just sign on the line right now. Trust me. And you say, oh, wow, that's incredible. And you sign on the line. Wow, you're so jubilant and thankful for this guy. And you you give him a big hug, actually, and, and get in your car and drive away. What's the difference between the two scenarios? You say, well, in that second scenario, the person was drunk, right? Or on drugs or something because uh, yeah, maybe maybe their IQ is really low. Maybe they're very naive. They've never been burned in life before and they didn't realize. You, someone says, trust me, you can't really trust. Maybe that, maybe, maybe this. They went to the dealership. The guy came out, looked him over, pointed to a car, said that was the car for you, yada, 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 trust me. 
And the person realized that the salesman was his father. And it wasn't just his father. His father had many dealerships, had had successful dealerships for the last 40 years, knew more about cars than, you know, Henry Ford and Danica Patrick together, and knew this car, and knew its its resale value, and went through it with a fine-tooth comb, and knew everything about it. And not only that, but he knew you, and he knew exactly what you could afford and what you could not afford, and and you needed the best thing for your, your family right now. And not only that, but your father loved you dearly. Matter of fact, you were probably his favorite, and he was incredibly kind and generous and sweet. And so, you know what? You don't even need to take it for for a spin, do you? I mean, just give me the pat. You're signing, and that's why you're giving him a hug, and you're going out with peace, and you're not wondering, did I make a bad decision? And you're going out with joy, and you're going out with great confidence because you knew the character and the competency and the commitment to you of the salesman. No, let's switch it. Some of y'all see where I'm going. In life of faith, as we go through life, having faith, having peace in the midst of darkness and mess, is it not dependent on our knowing our God, our knowing his character, our knowing his competency, our knowing his commitment to us? And to the extent that we know him, and to the extent we're able to live a life of faith in this world. Now, keep in mind, this guy goes to the dealership and the father comes out. But let's just say the father is disguised somehow. And so he really doesn't recognize his competency and his, his commitment. And, and his, and his, he doesn't recognize that. So still, he's going to be, the father is who he is. But you're still a little nervous and you're not sure you should sign. And if you do, you're kind of, I don't know if I made the right decision. Because you don't recognize it, I think, sometimes for us. We don't recognize who our God is. And because of that, we go through life without the life of faith. We go through life wringing our hands when we don't need to. We go through um, nervous it doesn't need to be. How well you know your God and how well you know your relation to him, are you his child or not, is going to direct how you live your life. Now, this is... In the Old Testament, there's a prophecy. They're talking about the end times, talking about the Antichrist. Antichrist in Scripture is coming in the future. He's going to be kind of like Jesus, the incarnate, but not incarnate God, incarnate Satan. This is the, the, the best hell has to throw at us, uh, the, the greatest evil that can be Antichrist incarnate. And look what Daniel says about him in Daniel 11, he says, he, that's the Antichrist, shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. But, notice the but, the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. Doesn't say the people who are wise, the people who are discerning, the people who got it figured out. No, no, they're they're no match for the Antichrist. They're no match for that kind of evil. But the people who know their God, that's a different issue. They will, they're not going to just stand firm. See, they're going to move forward in the midst of, of the best hell has to throw out at them. People who know their God, it's kind of a huge, huge thing. So we want to ask ourselves, obviously, how well do we know our God in this dark time? Because the way we live our life is going to be directly dependent on how well we know him and our relationship to him. There's a Christmas story that actually reflects this. Now, 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 um, 
sometimes we hear these stories that we've heard a gazillion times and we just kind of check out, right? Oh yeah, I've heard this a million times. Is it possible, is it just possible that almighty eternal God wants to speak to us today through just a familiar portion of scripture? I think so. I think so. Uh, time, 4 BC. We're in the Roman Empire, there, a territory called Palestine. We know it today is, is the nation of Israel, Middle, Middle East. Um, very, very dark time. Very, very dark time on every level. Politically, economically, spiritually, things were cold. It was just a very difficult time. Uh, but there was a sliver of hope held by some radical folk. That's because the Jewish scripture, uh, Old Testament, has this God promising that one day he's going to send his deliverer. And so the people are probably thinking, even at that point, this is a good time to send the deliverer, God, because life is a, a mess. But they're really not expecting him to. I mean, you know, it's just, we haven't heard from God in hundreds of years, and so no one's really expecting that. But those promises are really all over the Old Testament. They start right in the beginning, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. I mean, Adam and Eve, just fallen, just fallen. And God comes to the devil, and he says this. He's talking, I mean, Adam, right at the beginning, this is the very first, very first uh, description of the gospel. He says, I will put between you and the woman, uh, enmity, and between your and your offspring, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now, this, this think about this. Look at that for a minute. That's, that's a, kind of a wild verse. This offspring of the woman will bruise, it's crush, actually, the head of Satan. It's a death blow. But in the process, he's going to get hurt, right? Now, the, the, the offspring of Satan. Who is the offspring of Satan? Well, John 8, 44 lets us know who the offspring of, of Satan is. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So the offspring of Satan are those who do his bidding, those who are into deception and destruction and anti-Christ. Uh, but, but that offspring of the woman, who, who is this? It's a, it's a he because he's going to crush... The, the head of Satan. But, but it's amazing because you know what? That's a very unique way to say that. It, it shouldn't be offspring of the woman. It should be their offspring. Offspring of, of Adam and Eve. It could be uh, offspring of Adam. But for whatever reason, God says this is the offspring of the woman. Kind of like leaves the man out of it. But you can't really have an offspring without a man, right? I mean, you've got to have a man to have the offspring. That's basic biology, right? We're going to fast forward several thousand years to the only time in the history of the world, my knowledge, you've got an offspring. It doesn't have a, a, a man involved. It's, it's Luke. Chapter 1, verse 26. Remember, we started this story last week. Verse 26. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Six months. Remember, last week, the angel Gabriel goes to Zechariah, 
And says Zechariah, Zechariah is ancient of days guy, right? 80 years, sorry if you're 80 years old, but Zechariah is 80, he's young. So he's, he's a young guy, 80 years old. And he goes to him and says, you're going to have a baby. Your wife's going to have a baby. And he's kind of freaking out a little bit. Uh, six months later, so, so Elizabeth is now six months pregnant. Six months later, the angel goes to a peasant girl. The town of Nazareth. Now, Nazareth is, think of, it's like 400 people in the whole town of Nazareth. It's like a hamlet. Think of um, McCain. Think of Cambridge Springs. The people there love their town, no doubt, but it's off the beaten path. It's not Nashville. It's not Atlanta. It's not L.A. or New York. It's not a big, bright, happening, major place. It's just kind of a, a folk there take care of themselves, but it's not significant in the scope of, of running the world, Right? Nazareth. Uh, he goes to this gal who's betrothed to be married. Now, the Jewish uh, culture is once the girl was able to conceive, her parents uh, sought a, a spouse for her. They arranged a wedding. Uh, in the Jewish wedding, what was happening is, is the, the paperwork would be drawn up. The bride price would be paid. Signatures would be had. There'd be a ceremony of sorts. As soon as the official ceremony, the money's passed, these two are officially married, but they're not living together. He goes home and actually starts putting together his own house, building his own house. She stays at her, with her parents, and she's trained to be a, a wife and a, and, and a mom and, and do all those things. And then after about a year, when this guy's all ready, they come together, big party, and then they go and they, they move in together. So Mary and, and Joseph, she's betrothed, they are... They are engaged but not living together their engagement though they can't just decide well we don't like each other anymore we're going to break up it was never about liking each other in the first place uh it's legal death or a divorce is the only way to break this engagement so this is a pretty official thing and so mary's uh in this betrothed part uh mary um interesting interesting uh girl when you think of this text, chapter 1 of Luke, really, really, really important because Luke has got, he's on a mission. And so he starts off his story, first part of Luke 1, he's talking about Zechariah and Elizabeth, and now he kicks into this thing about Mary. Now, do this. If you really want to do some intense Bible study on your own, just go get a pen and go through this, this section and con- compare and contrast because it's fascinating what's going on. Uh, in the first part, Gabriel the angel comes to an old man, Zechariah. In the second part, Gabriel the angel comes to a young kid, Mary. This old man has got major lineage. He's got some prestige. He is a priest. He is a leader of his people. Mary's just a common peasant kid. Uh, this, this priest just happens to be in big city, Jerusalem. Mary's in Podunk, Nazareth, right? Uh, this, this priest isn't just in Jerusalem. He is in the holy place, just inches away from the holiest place on earth. Mary's out in a field someplace. The angel comes and he announces, though, to Zechariah that Zechariah and his wife will have a baby even in their old age. She can't have a baby. They're past the age of childbearing. Plus, she was barren when she was younger. The angel comes to Mary and says, Mary, you're going to have a baby, but Mary can't have a baby either. This time, she's too young. She's never been married. The angel comes and says, "Uh, you're going to name your baby John. He comes over here and says, you're going to name your baby Jesus. Lots of comparison, contrasting. Let's us know, right? 
right away that God uses both. God is not limited on who he's, he's going to use. He's starting down this road. And this is going to be like a theme in the book of Luke, uh, by the way. And so in Luke 1, 28 and 29, and he, Gabriel, came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Greatly troubled. She was deeply confused. We think angels are like a dime a dozen in the Bible. No, 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 no. It's not like chips in Vegas. They're all over the place. No, 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 no. They, they haven't seen an angel in 500 years, right? And so Mary hasn't. Her family hasn't. Her grandparents, great-grandparents, she doesn't know it. No one has. And so Mary is, is, is looking at all this, wondering, did she bump her head? Is she sleeping? Is Joseph trying to pull one over on her? She's putting what she's, what she's experiencing through the grid, trying to discern what's going on. And she's coming up empty. What is going on? She's doing the same thing we're doing. What is going on here with this, with this, with this deal? And the angel said to her in verse 30, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. I'm not here to kill you. This is a good thing. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, typically, you know, as parents... One of your greatest joys on the front end is getting to name your kid, right? You go through all the baby books, and nowadays you're checking on the internet, and you're finding out the greatest names, the most common names, and you don't want to name them that, and does it rhyme with your last name, and on and on and on. You want to name your child. One, my, one of my boys, he's named after me, Andrew Mark. This poor kid, right? But then my other boy, Nathan Elliott, is named after both Nate Saint and Jim Elliott, missionaries to the Akas. You kind of pick out a name for your kid, don't you, that... You want them to aspire to or that you want them to attain to. Somehow you're going to direct their destiny with, with their name. But the angel comes here and says, no, 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 Mary, no, no. Later on you can do that. But, but not with this, this kid. No, no, no. He, he's coming with a destiny. His name will be Jesus. We're naming him. God the Father's name. You, 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 you don't get to name him. His name is Jesus, which Mary's got to be thinking. Okay, Jesus means uh, the Lord, Yahweh, saves. Jesus, the Old Testament version of that is Joshua. Okay, okay, that's right. Okay, so she's, she's, she's rolling with this. But one of the things that we don't want to miss this, I think what the angels telling her is, is, Mary, this will not be your baby. The baby does not belong to you. You belong to him. And you need to know that, that you accept the baby, but you don't accept him with you being able to direct him and you being able to set up the parameters and you being able to determine what he says. No, no, no. He comes as he comes. You just have to accept him. You belong to him, not the other way around. I think sometimes in the church, people like Jesus, but they want to define him. Right? They want to determine what he's going to ask of them and what he's going to believe in and what not believe in. And they want to tame him and see if they can name him, then they'll accept him. And the angel says, no, 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 no. That's not, that's not the way this works. Uh, you accept him for who he is. And so Mary said to the angel, 
How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, 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 if you're thinking, remember last week, Zechariah, angel came to Zechariah, remember this? And Zechariah questioned the angel. And what happened? He got like a slap on the tongue, didn't he? The angel went all ticked off on him and, and let him have it, judgment. But Mary questions the angel. And what happens? Well, it's kind of like favor and bless. It's like, like the angel has zero compassion for this old man, Zechariah, but all kinds of compassion for sweet, innocent little Mary. Like Mary's got this angel eating out of her hand, right? It's kind of, oh, what? He's, oh, let me just share with you, little girl. Uh, no, no, I think God's bigger than that. Zechariah asked for a sign. Mary asked for an explanation. Jesus would grow up and say a wicked and adulterous generation wants a sign. Jesus' brother, James, is going to say, if you need an explanation, if you need wisdom, ask uh, of God. We know, we know, and we get this confused sometimes. As Christians, should I ask of God when I don't understand? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can ask a la Mary or a la Zechariah. You can ask with a humble submission, I would like wisdom. I like an explanation, but I'm, I'm going to do what you. I'm going to submit. I'm going to do what you want me to do. You can ask that way, or you can ask with a bit of a smirk, with a bit of a sarcastic, a cynical sort of tone. Oh yeah, <laughs> unbelief or belief. Just a question does not does not dictate which is is there. It's it's an issue of of our of our heart. Now let's, let's stop for a second and look at the identity of the kid because this is kind of important. The baby will be called the Holy One. Mary knows what that means. The Son of God. I mean, this is kind of a big thing. This is huge. This virgin birth thing. Um, you, you, you know that, that Jesus is the only religious founder to even claim to be God. There was never, Muhammad never claimed that. Oh my goodness, that would have been huge blasphemy. Uh, it would have been blasphemy if Jesus would have claimed it. If it wasn't true. Of course, Buddha didn't, doesn't believe in God, so Buddha, Buddha, the Buddha didn't do that. Confucius did not. No other religious founder claimed to be God, but Jesus did. Therefore, religion certainly denies the virgin birth. All of the world religions fight vehemently against it and not based on science. We understand this, right? It's not based on science because if they were against it based on science, then basically you blow off all miracles because the definition of a miracle is going to work against science there. But that's not the reason. The reason is because of this. If Jesus was born of a virgin, if Jesus really is the son of God, then that means he is God. That means that this Jesus movement is a step or two above theirs. It's in a whole different category, and it's not, it's not even equal, and they can't have that. It's got to be an equal playing field here. And so, and so there's this denial about, about this virgin birth. I mean, who would, who would buy this? Who's going to buy this? You think Joseph would buy this? Joseph's not going to buy this. He knows Mary. He knows her character. He's not interested in, in this kind of thing. We, we know that he hears of this. And he doesn't know if Mary's been out in the sun too long or if she's just lying. She does, he doesn't know what the issue is. But he knows how babies are conceived. And this, we're not a bunch of stupid, moronic, superstitious people. He, he, he knows. And the story about the angel police. So he's going to divorce her. So Gabriel, 
has got to rush over to see Joseph. Now, Gabriel's wings have got to be sore, right? He's seen uh, Zach, Zacharias. He's seen Mary. He's going to go see Joseph. He's going to go hang out with shepherds for a while. But right now, he's, 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 he's with, with, with Joseph. And he says, he says this in Matthew 1. He says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. And then Matthew adds, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. This is Isaiah 7, 14. It's a quote. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Which means God with us. God with us. You know, it's interesting. It says they will call his name Emmanuel. Can you think of a text in scripture where they called Jesus Emmanuel? There's just not a whole lot of them. But we understand that in scripture there are at least 200 names given to Jesus. And a name, even a name by which you're called, doesn't literally mean that you're going to sign that. It means it's who you are. That means what you're about. That means that's what you're doing. That's your mission. Let me give you just, just a couple, just a few of the, the, I'm not going to name all 200, the names that are given to Jesus. Jesus is called our chief cornerstone. He's the firstborn over all creation. He is the head of the church. Jesus is the holy one. He's our judge. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. He's the light of the world. He's the prince of peace. He's the son of God. He's the son of man. You know, this son of man this is Jesus' favorite designation for himself. And, and it's, it's because Daniel uses this son of man. It is a messianic term. So Jesus is claiming to be the Messiah with that. He is the word. He's the word of God. He's the word of life. He's the Alpha and Omega. He's the great I Am, which is God's personal name in the Old Testament. Jesus claims that for himself. Lord of all, he's true God. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the bread of life, the bridegroom, the deliverer, the good shepherd, the high priest, the lamb of God, our only mediator, the rock. Dwayne Johnson is not the rock. Jesus is the rock. The resurrection and the life, our savior, the true vine, wonderful counselor, almighty God, the way, the truth, the life, the Christ and Emmanuel, God with us. And that's just some, there's about 180 more different titles that Jesus claims, different names that he has. So when Mary knows this baby that she's going to have, she knows the identity. This is, this is God. This is God. So when Mark Lowry asks Mary, did you know? Um, I don't know if she knew that one day he would walk on water, but she knew this was God. He created the water. And, and do you know that he's going to heal a blind man? I don't know if she knew that he'd heal a blind man, but I know she knew that he created sight. He created us all. That, that the wind and the waves would know his name and be in submission to him. She knew that, that this, this son would deliver her sons and, and daughters. But there's probably some stuff she didn't know. She didn't know how he was going to deliver Maybe she thought, well, just the way Joshua did, of course, and King David. Uh, I don't think she, she, she realized that those little pudgy hands, when they would grab her finger, that one day they were going to be pierced. She knew when she kissed her face of her baby that this was eternal, infinite 
omnipotent, omniscient, holy creator, God. What a, what a mind-blowing thing, right? What a mind-blowing thing. But I don't know if she knew that that would be the face that would be beat for her salvation because her son loved her so much and us so much. I don't know if she realizes the little soft skin on a baby that he was going to grow and this body was going to be destroyed and that somehow he would bear the sin, her sin, sin of the world, our sin, that we might be delivered. I don't know if she recognized all that. I don't know if she recognized this. Um, Abraham did not have to be deity. Moses did not have to be deity. And, and, and King David did not have to be God for crying out loud. What? She held this baby. What is so fire significant? What kind of task does this kid have to fulfill that he's got to be God to do it? Huh? Who knows? It's amazing to me. So she had a lot of questions. But still, even though she had the questions, she knew who her God was. She knew Jesus, I don't have you all figured out. I have no clue what you're going to do, but I know who you are. And that's enough. And that's enough. Faith starts with our understanding of his identity, with, with, with who he is. But faith also incorporates an understanding of whose we are. In 138, um, Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Uh, I was a little, ignorant, pagan uh, kid. Uh, I did not grow up politically correct. Uh, worst cut down that I could have possibly have heard that between me and my friends was being called a little girl. It's like, oh, I'm not a little, you're a little girl. It was, it was, it was, it was like, oh, it's like great fear and cowardice and powerlessness. We did not know Mary, right? We did not know who Mary is. Frederick Buchner wrote a uh, book, Character Studies, where he talks about this, this incident of Gabriel meeting with Mary. And he says this, he says, she struck him as hardly old enough to have a child at all, let alone this child. But he had been entrusted with a message to give her, and he gave it. He told her what the child was to be named and who he was to be and something about the mystery that was to come upon her. You mustn't be afraid, Mary, he said. And as he said it, he hoped she would notice that underneath the great golden wings, he himself was trembling with fear to think that the whole creation hung on the answer of a girl. When kings and generals, and artisans, and sophists, and philosophers, and athletes are out there trying to leave a legacy, and make a name for themselves, and move and shake. It's just fascinating that Gabriel did not come to a, a girl named Kate Middleton, right? Or Meghan Markle, or a queen, or a duchess, or a princess. He came to Mary. Mary's generic sort of name. Everybody's named Mary. He comes to a 12-year-old kid in poverty in a backwards town. You, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is huge. This is huge for us. Because, because Mary most probably had to be thinking, I, I don't know, I'm just, I'm just guessing, but, but is she thinking, I'm not adequate for this job. 
I mean, who's adequate to, to bear and raise the Son of God for crying out loud, right? I mean, she's, got, she's not bringing a whole lot she, to, to the table. She's got very few credentials. She's got no experience. She's got no understanding of what it means to be the Messiah. She brings nothing to the table on this one except limitations and availability and humility and a submission to the God that she knows And that's all God needs. Spiritual greatness has nothing to do with prestige, with with monetary clout, with, with age, with skills or personality. Nothing. And so this is something, seniors, we gotta understand, we gotta embrace, and that's this that when God was looking for someone to bring in the Savior of the world, he he called the name of a 12-year-old kid. We, we just got to keep that in mind. This is God. It wasn't an accident. It was like there's no one else available. He picked a 12-year-old kid. King David was in junior high when he was, when he was ordained king. You, you've got Jeremiah, 17 years of age, when he was called to be a prophet. And if you're here and you're 12 years old, let me just tell you, let me just tell you, or you're in your teens, or in your, you're in your 20s, that that serving him and knowing him doesn't start when you get older, that, 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 that spiritual greatness is not a matter of externals, it's a matter of the heart. And that's what he wants to use. That's what he wants to, to do. If you give him that kind of a heart, regardless of age or any external credentials or your resume, that's irrelevant to God. That's where, where, where Mary... Is now, now, this is important because Mary knew... Some of these ramifications about this. Now, it's interesting. She gets, she gets, she's just minding her own business, hanging out, hoeing, doing whatever she's doing. And all of a sudden, this angel shows up and he lays this at her. She didn't say, well, let me think about it for a while. Well, let me, I'm going to pray about this one. I'm going to check some, I'm going to get some consultation because this is a big thing. Immediately, she says, I am the Lord's servant. She says, I know who I, I, I am. I don't know if you saw this, this past week, a professor in Minnesota, I don't know if he's at Mankato State, just a professor in Minnesota someplace, he tweets and he says, because God impregnated this Jewish teenager without asking her permission, he was abusing her. There's just like 80 different kinds of ludicrousness on this one, isn't there? Where this, this guy takes his 21st century uh, American uh, self-independent culture and imposes it on a first century Jewish culture as superior, Mary would not have even thought that it was any kind of abuse. I mean, she knew he was God. And she knew that herself and all were created for his glory. And she knew if he had an assignment, it was not going to be drudgery and pain. It was going to be for favor. It was joy. Now, Mary, when she said yes, it wasn't cakewalk stuff. We know that. It wasn't just a shame in this culture for a girl to be pregnant outside of marriage. It was illegal with a death penalty that followed that. Now, she had to know somehow, I'm guessing, that I'm going to, I don't know how this is going to work, and I'm guessing, though, I'm going to survive this because otherwise you wouldn't give me the Messiah and all. But 
what's going to happen with her parents? I mean, her parents going to buy this story? And this is going to be great shame on them. And if they embrace her, this is going to destroy their standing. And the, everyone knows who you are when you've got a town of 400, right? And this is going to destroy their standing completely. Might they disown her? Good possibility. And, and what about Joseph? What's Joseph going to think? Joseph going to buy this? Joseph's not going to buy this. We already went, went, went over that. So maybe Mary's thinking, I'm going to do this on my own, just me and this baby. And there's, there's I mean, which is going to be a very, very dangerous, dark, difficult road. But, but you know, it's amazing. If you follow this story down, Mary writes a, a poem. Twelve-year-old, remember when you're twelve, you loved poetry, right? You're gonna write poems about. It. Mary writes a poem about this, and she is not talking about drudgery and well, this is so hard, but I love the Lord, so I'm gonna. She has nothing like that. It's all honor, it's joy, it's blessing. Even though it's gonna cost her everything, her reputation from that point on. Reality, I mean, we know the rest of the story. Mary didn't know what was gonna be in. Chapter 2 and 3 and 4 of Luke. She wasn't sure what was going to transpire. But she said yes. Because she knew who her God was. She knew the identity of her baby. And she knew who she was. I am the Lord's servant. John Quincy Adams. uh, I think he was the only second president in the United States to serve in the House of Representatives after his presidency. Served for 17 years, uh, 1831 to 1848. John Quincy Adams was a staunch abolitionist. And for those 17 years, every Monday that the House of Representatives met, every Monday he brought before the House a three-part plan to, to wipe out slavery in the United States. And he was constantly belittled, and he, the, the rest of the representatives tried to silence him, and they were, they were coming up with new rules that he couldn't bring in, petitions, but he kept at it. Towards the end of his, his career in the House, failure after failure after failure, he was interviewed. Do you, do you have any regret over the fact that you're not making any progress with this? And he said, no, he said, we are doing, I am doing what I am called to do, what is right. The results rest with God. That's kind of like I am your, your, your servant. The results rest with God. Now, John Quincy Adams actually died in the House of Representatives. It was a stroke he had. They still have the couch that he was laid out on as he was dying. It's in one of the chambers there. But, but those last years when he was in the house, there was a new representative who failed over and over again trying to get elected, but he did make it in for one term. And John Quincy Adams is said that he befriended this guy. He kind of mentored this guy, and he shared with him, of course, his three-step plan to knock out slavery. Um, but then uh, John Quincy Adams died, and this gentleman was by his side the whole time. And this man would never go on to be a representative again, but he would go on to become the president where he would take a John Quincy Adams' three-step plan and, and institute that and destroy slavery in America. This is Abraham Lincoln. Sometimes God asks us to do things, and we don't see how this is going. And it's a dead-end stuff, and it's not going to count, and it's not going to matter anyway, but he asks us to do this. And our response needs to be John Quincy Adams, Mary's response. I 
am the Lord's servant. I'm going to do, I'm going to do because you've called me to. And so when, when he calls us to bring Christ to our schools or to our neighborhoods or to our workplace, our answer is, is I am the Lord's servant. Yeah, help me with this one. Give me some creativity, but I am the Lord's servant. So yes, I'm going to do this. When he calls us to sexual purity or he calls us to a life of integrity, our answer is, simple if we're his servant i am your servant of course i'm going to do this if he calls us to the mission field when we're young and we have to plan for it or when we're we're in our career already and we need to change gears the answer is if we're his servant i am your servant of course i'm not sure where to go with this but yes and can you imagine a, a, a church like FAC where everyone's got a generic name we're not, none of us are bringing a whole lot of stuff to the table we're just not But yet, if we have a spirit where we know who our God is and we know who we are in relation, I am your servant. May it be done to me. Can you imagine what he could do? Oh, man, our our future is as bright as that. Would you pray with me? Oh, God, we're so grateful that you go to Zacharias... And you go to to, uh, 12-year-old kids and you you desire so much a heart that is after you. And if there is a heart after you, you'll use that. Lord, we want that. I want that. God, would would you use us accordingly? I would pray that that would be so. And would you remind us, even this season, that uh, as important as Zechariah and Mary are, the The key figure is, of course, uh, your son, Emmanuel. We don't understand all of what that means for us, but the little we do, we just want to say thank you. Oh, God, thank you. May we walk with him. May we understand more of of who you are and, and who we are as your servant, that we might be and do that which you want us to this season. I would pray that would be so. God, as we take up this offering too, would you use it please to build your church here in Erie and beyond in Jesus' name. Amen.